follow the Four Corners Podcast on social media. Like us on Facebook, Four Corners Podcast. Follow us on Twitter, Podcast Four Corners. And check us out on Instagram, Four Corners Podcast. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review. I want to take this time to apologize to the television audience for what they're about to see. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Four Corners Podcast. I'm Shad here with Matt and Brad. Guys, how are you doing today? Uh, doing good, Shad. I'm doing good as well. All right. Good to hear. We want to thank all of you all for joining us in this episode. I just realized I threw that nice southern colloquialism in there. But anyway, thank you for joining us. We are glad you're here with us. We'll get our shout-outs down first. The first one is going to be to Collar and Elbow, the wrestling brand, CollarandElbowBrand.com. Use the promo code 4CornersPodcasts, number 4, capital C and Corners, capital P and Podcast, to save on your order. But since this is Black Friday week, mm-hmm. if I read their statement correctly, you can get like 30% off with a promo code. So they've got some stuff on sale. They're selling some... They've got some of their Tiger King shirts marked down, um, you know, all, all kinds of stuff. They got some new shirts on there, um, so you know, they make they make really good shirts. Can't recommend them enough. You know, speaking of Tiger King, that's one of my favorite um, Venture Brothers scenes where Baron Underbite gives his um, gives his henchman that he's mad at Tiger Bomb, and they don't get it. And then tigers come in, and she looks, and then she's like, "Oh, tiger bomb!" Because the tigers have <laughs> explosives strapped to them. Sorry, that's just what it reminded me of. Okay, all right. Well, that is going to lock down our first shout out. Our second shout out means I pass the ball over to Matt. <clears throat> yeah, our our you know guys, it's been a it's been a very tough year, 2020, with a global mm-hmm. pandemic and. And all sorts of unpleasantness. But the person I am very thankful for this year is Orlando Cologne. Orlando Cologne has an invite to my house for Thanksgiving. I know we're not we're supposed to socially distance, but still. Yeah. He's he's free to come by, have some turkey, have some uh, some mac and cheese. Do you guys do mac and cheese? There are actually uh, like art there are articles that are get passed around every year where they do yeah. uh, like the various side dishes. Uh, regionally, yeah. and mac and cheese is, I guess, uh, mostly just like considered a southern side. It's not a side here. Well, it 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 shows up at our house because it's um, something we're fair certain kids will eat. Uh, I see. I I grew up with it. My family's from the south. It's delicious. And Orlando Cologne is always welcome to come over and have some. So so, so here here where I live. <laughs> Your standard sides are like mashed potatoes, obviously, um, dressing, um, the weird cranberry crap. Um, From a can? 
Yeah. It's got the the ridge lines on it. Yes, <laughs> yes. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. if if you want to get fancy, someone might do like a sweet potato um, casserole. casserole. My mom does the best though because she doesn't do marshmallows. She puts like this this fine like topping of um like pecans on top that are mm. like caramelized with brown oh, sugar. That's and, the way like, to go. My dad and wife and I just eat the <laughs> eat the top layer and leave the sweet potatoes. I was gonna say it's uh you know it's it's not um not really Thanksgiving unless you've got at least one form of casserole on the table. Mm-hmm. Oh, and green bean casserole, my family does. I don't. My wife loves that, and I that is like a big. Uh, she's from Texas. It's a big side dish, like in Texas. Yeah. But I don't really. I, I don't like it at all. I like. I'm weird about green beans. I love green beans when they're like roasted, so they're like the nice and firm, even crunchy. But I don't really like green beans like most most other ways. Because I don't feel like they, the the texture bothers me. In my family, like it's it changed over the years because now we usually have um, <laughs> we usually have Bless like you. the um, we usually have your standard done in the oven bird, and then we usually have <laughs> like the um the deep fried bird. Oh really? Yeah. Two birds. Yeah. Yeah. And I think wow. we smoked one. I do it. I do it here, but my smoker broke. Uh, it smoked like doing a turkey in the smoker for like four hours turns out really nice. Get some nice applewood in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I also do ribs that way, which um, that's an all-day task. But like, you get some nice wood in there, get your sauce real good, and um, people think you're a genius. And it's like, yeah, I played video games all day and just checked on it every hour. <laughs> The, a deep fried turkey is is really good because yeah you're frying it but since you're not throwing breading on it you're not getting all that and it stay it cooks really nicely but it stays real juicy. Yeah, just be careful doing that because that yeah. that they um it can get a little explosive. When you yeah, put you, it you, in. you you got to make sure it's at room temperature and you lower it in slowly. Yeah, because uh, that if it's if it's got some ice on it that like you might as well have just like set off fireworks yeah it'll go up yeah the the concern about that is why my family never did that growing up gotcha. if you have a big enough if you have like a big enough driveway or yard and you and one of you is brave enough to do it like you can minimize the damage and my folks we had, they would just like put it in the middle of their driveway so um yeah yeah and we you know, like we have like a system like you know i think we use like a hook kind of thing and like lower it in from a little bit of a distance so there's ways to do it sure all right well all of that being said obviously we're looking forward to thanksgiving we hope you have a good thanksgiving if you're in the states and if you're not well that's okay too but this week what are we talking about brad so last week we did the 1985 Saturday morning cartoon schedule, and this week we are moving to the next year, which is 1986. Um, I just want to say I, I had a lot of fun with 1985, but I, I feel like 1985 left me a little um, a little on the ho hum side. Like it wasn't a bad slate of shows, but I don't feel like minus a couple of things. I don't feel like 
there was a lot of standout material that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand that. This year, I feel we have a little more potential. Sure. A little more to, to work at. Oh, oh, looking at the lineup? Oh, definitely. Yeah. and um, there's, so... there's a couple shows that I would say are kind of classic Saturday morning shows, and there's one that's, like, in my opinion, one of the one of the better animated shows of all time. Not just, like, Saturday morning, just in general animated. Yeah, I would agree with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I would say, um, I would say <laughs> one of the most bizarre um, real shows is on this that is um, well-remembered. So let us kick off again. We're gonna we're just gonna go alphabetically. Um, we still have just ABC, CBS, NBC. So we're gonna start off with ABC. 8 a.m. The Wuzzles. We kind of talked about this. They're like an amalgamation of like various animals. I don't think any of us had admitted that we ever remembered watching it last time. But a couple of us had like the plushes. I think your wife had the elephant, and I had the elephant. <clears throat> Yeah. So then, um, I think we actually compared it to the show that's on at eight thirty, which is the Care Bears appearing on Saturday morning. I didn't get a chance to say it last time, but the Care Bears have a very terrifying aspect to them. Why? Because all of their movies involve like Satanism in some form or another. <laughs> uh, I, that was not the first thing I was going to say, but the fact that whenever they bust out that stare, you're just gone. Like there's 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 sometimes whenever they use that whatever they're pointing it at that's it like what they hit with it's just is no more if you if you look at the movies Matt so there's the 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 second movie is actually like the the prequel like origin movie but they both involve like the first movie involves like a kid that's like a magician's assistant like finding this book and like getting possessed by the book and turning evil and then the second movie one of the characters like essentially essentially in a roundabout way sells her soul to satan to be good at sports <laughs> and then like dies and they have to like i i was on a weird tangent with this the other day um how have i not remembered any of this because 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 you, we're all childs of the 80s i know Chad, shad's a little younger but like yeah. uh, i think we forget how much like the the satanic panic stuff like just um permeated stuff of like the the mid to the the mid 80s to like the early 90s can we sidebar did that that all started wasn't it like a daycare there was like allegations of satanism at a daycare i think and then it became this like like cultural moral panic i well I, i think like um I think I think it was born out of I think the like um, with like the invention of cable and stuff and I think like the revival circuit kind of got big mm. in the 80s and I think I think too if you look at like the 70s like that's when like the cult stuff was at its absolute apex uh, uh, and I think um, I think there are some legitimate concerns because you figure you figure I think 78 was like Jonestown. And you had the masses. oh well, yeah, yeah. Those that's fair. Okay. So um, I think I think there was some legitimate concern in there, and then you had like you had stuff like um, 
the 700 club getting like prominence and you know you had like you had stuff like the backlash against D and then you know this is where this is where i feel like heavy metal really started taking off and like that aesthetic really i think i think freaked some people out yeah there was um there's also a story and i'd have to look up when it was but it was somewhere in south central kentucky that supposedly it sprung out of a vampire the masquerade game about these these three late teens early 20s getting this idea that they were vampires and like actually assaulting people assaulting and killing people like they club them over their head and then like puncture them to draw blood out and stuff and I kind of feel like the seventies is when um when you started to see people like be able to start um weaponizing moral busybodydom. Okay. And like figure out that they could make money and like gain like power and prominence with um the proper PR and yeah. like connections with that. Cause like I know I brought her up last time, but like Tipper Gore and her her war against like good music. Yeah. Well, hang on, hang on, because we talked about that, and it was it was a movie that was called Warning Parental Advisory. Um, it was on VH1's anti censorship weekend, wherein the uh, it was in 2002, and they like to drive their point home. They played like Showgirls. On VH1, censored, <laughs> right? Um, I mean, I mean that movie shouldn't exist for other reasons, mostly because it's, it has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. By the way, the name of Tipper Gore's group was the PMRC, the Parents Music Resource Center. Yeah, because so. she had a real, she had a real um, which is which is weird because I know they got mixed up in that, but. I find it hilarious that in like that anti heavy metal stuff that you always see like Striper in there and it's like that was a Christian heavy metal group, dumbasses. Yeah. They didn't listen to it. They just they 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 pulled John Denver in thinking he would be on their side and he ripped them a new one for getting censored. When did so, wait was that the nineties when John Denver had the whole plane <clears throat> problem? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. And there's a Pretty lot of sure. people the 90s was a hard decade of people in private airliners because that was also when Payne Stewart had the whole decom the Ooh. the they 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 were like a ghost plane. Yikes! Yeah, that's a scary thought. So, um, what were we on Care Bears and Satanism? Yeah, okay, yeah. So satanic. Before we satanic moved on animals. to Satanism and death. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't remember a lot. I I kind of remember the cartoon a little bit. Um, I mostly just remember the Care Bears because I had one of the Care Bears uh, as a kid. Mm-hmm. I had Bedtime Bear or Sleepy Bear, whatever his name was. Yeah, the the blue, blue. one. Yeah, because I yeah. my my favorite color is blue. So uh, I had the same one. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> not I, I didn't ask for it, but you know, hey. Uh, Blue bear and it was soft and I was little. I swear, I just want the frickin' um, what time of place? Christmas critter, Christmas. Hail Satan! 
<laughs> Sorry, that's a catchphrase around my house that probably would not go over well certain people because people wouldn't get the joke, but sometimes my wife and her are just like, Hail Satan! I, I would get what you're saying. Um... And I can't do my favorite, because um, that's one of my favorite last podcasts on the left ones, is like, Hail Ed Gein. Ooh. Yeah, Hail Satan, Hail Gein. Yeah. Hail yourself. Yeah. Oh, and... um. I, I think probably the serial killer hitting its apex in the seventies and eighties probably didn't um, didn't help. Probably not. Fun fact though, there's um there's a Tom Hanks movie called Maze and Monsters, like early in his career. Yes, I'm like I see that. Yes, I have it on DVD somewhere. <laughs> it has this. Um, it has a look that anyone who's played tabletop for a while knows that <clears throat> when he says. I hop down to collect the treasure, and the GM looks up. He goes, "He's just got this oh no look on his face. This look of just, I this just happened. And I can't stop." He goes, "It was a trap. The treasure was on the spikes. Your character is dead, and it's supposed to be like this big moment and cause the breakdown for the whoever the guy the char- the character controlling that character. But the problem is, if you've played tabletop." You've seen that happen, and you are laughing hysterically at that moment. Yeah, usually. It's usually not that dramatic. It's usually like, it's usually like I go to disarm the trap, and you roll a one, and everyone laughs as like the, the treasure chest blows up in your face. Well, the trap goes off, and you lose a hand or something like that. Yeah. I think I, I think I I've done silly stuff before. Like I think I had um, the box open once and a giant like boxing glove like punched them in the face. Uh, as someone who's played a fair number of rogues, I've blown those rolls uh, and then rolled a new character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm I've I, I've never played a rogue, but I've I've rolled like ones on like really easy checks before, and just and just like oh no 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 yeah yeah I know that feeling okay faces so... and monsters <laughs> yes so care bears um okay so Satan worshiping <laughs> bears and other animals um okay so. Nine o'clock to ten, we have a new show, The Flintstones Kids. And I believe Captain Caveman had like a show, like he had a sub-cartoon in this with his son. Captain Caveman was in it, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Which, um, I have a, I would, I wouldn't watch any of his stuff now, and I haven't seen anything with him for a long time, but I have a real, I have a real fondness for him. Captain Caveman? Yeah. Was he Hanna-Barbera? Yeah, he was. Was he in, like, the Laugh Olympics? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that's where I probably saw most of him. Yeah, Um, yeah, his show was, like, Captain Caveman and the Teenage Angels or something like that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Ah, no, it was... Uh, I know what you're talking about. Here, I'm going to rub my forehead. Here's why I know what you're talking about, at least in terms of the Teen Angels with him. Nightmage did a Captain Caveman 
and went to a convention with a group that was Captain Caveman and whatever Teen Angels. And I, I looked at that and I was like, I know that's got to be a thing, but I didn't expect it to be a thing. <laughs> and, yep, it was a thing. Uh, I was never big on Flintstone Kids myself, but, you know. I liked it well enough, but it's also, this is, um, I think Muppet Babies started a very bad trend of, like, taking characters and doing them as kids, because then you get, like, I actually think this, this a pup named Scooby-Doo is probably better, but then, like, Tom and Jerry Kids eventually, oh. and... We'll, oh. we'll hit on a pop name Scooby-Doo, I feel, later on. I feel like that's oh. later. I'm gonna, I think that's like 88. I'm yeah. going to drop one here of the Saturday morning cartoon, the younger version of other things, that makes that still kind of makes me cringe that it ever made the air, was Little Rosie, which was Roseanne Barr. As a oh, my kid. God. I feel like I remember this. I do remember this. I remember that. Uh, <laughs> wow, that's a deep cut. Yeah. Wow. What, what no, honestly, I, I I only I remember Flintstones kids. I remember that too, but I also have probably not thought about <laughs> Flintstones kids in thirty years. No, like, I, I haven't at least, Like I, I know it exists. But You had looking at the Okay, looking at it, uh like the Wikipedia you had like some some Big time talent. You had Michael Bell. You had Mel Blank. Charlie Adler. You had like a ton of talent. But they had Mel Blank on that. Yeah. But this was like Mel. his last stuff because um, they um, because this is the year that um, Heathcliff and the Cadillac Cats hits first run syndication. Mm. And um, I I don't know if you guys got that show, but that was played a lot here, and he was Heathcliff. I remember that really? it was played. I don't remember much about it. And um, he... Well, we, we were just talking about... Because we've been on weird... Um, we've been on weird... I've been on a weird rabbit hole, but, like, the Dennis the Menace cartoon, I didn't remember um, what's-his-face was... That Phil Hartman was voices on Dennis the Menace. Is he Mr. Wilson? He's Mr. Wilson and Dennis's dad. Oh, Wow. Yeah. Okay. It made sense, like, in my head once I saw that, but I was surprised still. You know, actually, the one thing going just through the first two years, I mean, I think 86 has some strong stuff, but, wow, the first run syndication stuff was just so much better. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, I, I feel like the, the stuff they brought back later for other things to fill slots is just what they could get cheap. So yeah. it's like, yeah, that'll be fine. And even, like, some of the better stuff on here, like the next one. So 10 o'clock, we're going to hit, like, I, I'm going to say, like, top five all-time cartoon series. And, um, and I'm going to put a little bullet point under this that um, the follow-up in the 90s is a is a worthy successor that mm -hmm. I just found out's on Hulu actually. Um, oh really? Yes, I just found it the other day. <clears throat> so, uh, I know I know what show you're talking about because yeah, you know, I'm jumping ahead, but uh, I actually am. I'm trying to still unpack, and I finally had some time today to actually unpack like all my DVDs, and I have the entire run of of that show. Actually, I think both shows. 
uh, but they're like bootleg DVDs. Oh yeah, yeah. So, it's from a, a dude I I bought him off uh, at like a comic show. So what we have up next is uh, the real Ghostbusters, which is mm-hmm. a really strong cartoon. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. So this is like the first thirteen episodes. So um, I actually have a good remembrance of like several of these. So this is one like where um, <laughs> the Sandman is one of these. Yeah. Um, which that one's really interesting because he's like a Sandman that goes rogue and he just starts trying to put the entire world to sleep. Mm-hmm. And it's a fun little thing because they go through all this stuff. Well, actually, Winston's the only one left by the end. Oh, and, really? Um, and um, he goes to the the, ha- the, the firehouse and Janine's trying to help him. And she gets put to sleep, but she dreams that she's a Ghostbuster. So then yeah. she they pretty much take him out because she sneaks up on him and blasts him because she's actually a Ghostbuster now. Yeah. Um, that's probably one of my favorite episodes, but they also have the one um, where Slimer runs away and he ends up with all these ghosts, like, and there's this giant ghost that's um, absorbing all of them. Yeah. Okay. And I remember that one as a kid because when they get it in the trap, like the trap can't hold it, so they have to like run back to the firehouse before the trap explodes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. This, okay. Looking at this, uh, this first season, they had a lot of great episodes. They had the one with the boogeyman. Oh, that one's that one. That one is a good one. Yeah. Um, they had Troll Bridge where they fought trolls. Yeah, because the tr- because um. That one they don't even really win. They like pretend to blow up the the rogue troll. Mm-hmm. But that one's also horrifying because they release these giant fireflies yeah. that um torch the city. They also have the one where Ray goes to his hometown. Okay. Um and that turns into like this rival of his unleashing this monster. Mm. This doesn't have, like, some of my other favorites, though. It doesn't have Doomsday Door, which is probably, like, top ten episodes. That's a great episode. And it doesn't have... I think Syndication got um, Stay Puff versus Murray the Mantis. Yeah, I remember that one. Because um, they, they turned him loose, but they were in the helicopter. And then Egon remembers how high-praying Mantises can jump. Yeah. Is this the one that had um, the emergence of uh, Great Cthulhu? That would have been Syndication. Okay. I also remember they did, like, they had, like, a Moriarty versus Holmes episode where they were ghosts. Yes. Oh, you know what? We're dumb, Matt. We're forgetting probably, like, one of the signature episodes of the season. The first Sam Hain episode is... Oh, yeah. And he would be a recurring villain. Even into Extreme Ghostbusters, which was right. follow up. Yeah, there are so many great episodes of the show. Uh, there is the one where they go to New Orleans, and it's like uh, a whole bunch of um, New Orleans blues playing uh, ghosts that kind of, when they start playing, like uh, like time starts going backwards. Yep, and they, I remember that one because they didn't have their gear, so they tried to make, like, a makeshift <clears throat> proton pack, and it blew up on them or something. <laughs> Do you yeah. remember the really... This is a really weird one. Um, the one where 
all the Ghostbusters get coated in this weird substance. And, yeah, um... like, I think a Slimer has to save them. I'm forgetting. I don't know. But I'm trying to look it up on Wikipedia. I know this isn't from this season, but I remember the one where they made that robot that was Ghostbusting, and it caused, like, some some issue with, like, this giant, like, cloud of ghosts that it had been destroying. And then they, like, rigged it up because they needed the extra firepower from the from the, the robot. But I think that was under the Slimer branding before, like, it went. Oh, here's a here's a good one. The thing in Mrs. Faversham's attic. Oh, yes, I remember that one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. I got a, I got something. Okay. Well, let, me, uh, let me turn the sound up. All righty. Do not yes. until doomsday. I still remember that. Like, that's still such a creepy moment. That was on a VHS tape because that's how I saw that one. Because <laughs> mm. uh, that I one starts with them in a bowling alley, um, with like ghosts that are like pins and like shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I think they give the guy the bill and like the 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 whole like bowling alley is like falling apart. <laughs> I really need to rewatch this this entire show. Yeah. Mm. It's it's um it holds up pretty well too. Like there's a lot of like clever stuff. Mm-hmm. Cuz I was talking to my wife about why I think the original Ghostbusters movie worked and I think I think that property really took off because Dan Aykroyd is a total kook and um, yeah, yeah. Ray Stance is pretty much just Dan Aykroyd the person. Yeah. yeah. Cranked up. Well, no, he's probably cranked down to about a 9 from a 12. <laughs> But like I like I why a lot of that works is because he's into like all that stuff. Like he is, oh, yeah. he pretty much is Ray. Yeah. Yeah. Like. And uh, it doesn't. I think people have completely forgotten about the follow-up Extreme Ghostbusters, which was a really good show. How many episodes did they have? I think they had at least forty. I think they had about forty because I know the last episode when they tied the series up is they brought all the Ghostbusters back and they had to like work together Mm -hmm. to beat it because i know like egon was like their trainer and um, yeah he was like now he was the older mentor yeah and i know in the comics the girl they use for stuff but i don't remember what i think i think janine was also still at the firehouse for extreme Mm -hmm. that is a it's a good show it's obviously it's the direct sequel show uh but it's it's for its time because it was like late '90s. It's remarkably like progressive because all of the four new young Ghostbusters are essentially their minority characters. You have uh, you had Eduardo who was uh, Latin. You had Kylie who was you know obviously a woman. And then you had Roland who was he was kind of like the uh, the Egon of the group. He was African American. And then you had a voice by Alfonso Ribeiro, actually. And then huh. you had, yeah. And then you had uh, Garrett, who was uh, he was disabled. He was in a, a wheelchair. Yeah. Which at the time, it's like you didn't get you qu- didn't quite get something as diverse as that. Now, if you had a show that came, if this, that show came out like today, that no one would bat an eye because that's you would expect it to be that way, but not 
20, 20 years ago. Right. You know what's you know what's kind of interesting that it just made me realize like thinking about his character is um if you were to do almost a satirical character of his character like just to like do like a satire of it you would get Joe from Family Guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Patrick Warburton, right? Yeah. And um you know that's what I was talking we were talking about kind of with it's it's in first run so it's not going to come up in the context of this but just how um incredibly ahead of its time G.I. Joe was. Yeah. And like how much they juggled like such an expansive cast because I was talking to you guys about like Storm Shadow and how like everyone like wants to be Snake Eyes or Storm Shadow now but like when I watched the original cartoon like the Storm Shadow rivalry to me is always like Spirit versus Storm Shadow. Mm-hmm. Spirit is a character. I'm now going to go into my like GI Joe fandom because I'm a huge GI Joe fan. Uh, Spirit, I think maybe like in some of the extended media, like the the comic books, he gets a little more due. But he was an awesome character, and he ha- he has been presented in some works as as almost being just as good as Snake Eyes. Like he's mm. he's not technically like a ninja, but he's like He's presented as an incredibly skilled, uh, like combat martial. Yeah, yeah Martin, uh, well, warrior is a better way to put it. Yeah, and he's he's always was presented in some of the stuff as like an expert tracker to the point where it's like he will find you. Like if he's if he's gonna track you, like yeah. he's gonna catch you. And I love that. I love like little things like that where they they can take a character and just build them up. You you know what was hilarious, and I remember this episode, but I was watching a video and they brought this episode up. But the episode where Cobra figured out the way to take down GI Joe is to take the first the the, the worst three GI Joes and promote them to Colonel. <laughs> so they promoted like Lifeline, and I don't remember the other two. <laughs> and I I only remember Lifeline because you could get Lifeline the figure mm-hmm. by sending in serial tops, so everyone had Lifeline. I didn't have the regular lifeline. I had the Tiger Force lifeline. Oh, really? Which they, I will, you have, I got to give all credit to G.I. Joe. I mean, I, I still have a lot of the figures. I literally have like an 18 gallon tote full of like G.I. Joe figures. Right. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and what G.I. Joe did that I guess now other toys have kind of ripped it off, but G.I. Joe would take figures that they'd already put out. And basically just do like a, a repaint of them, but in like something fun and then just be like, Oh, this is Tiger Force and it's like you'd you'd have characters like Lifeline, but all of a sudden they have like a yellow shirt with tiger stripes on it. And but as a kid you're like, Oh my god, I need Tiger Force. I need Tiger Force Lifeline. You know what my favorite G.I. Joe line was and it was later is when they did the street the Street Fighter two characters as G. I. Joe figures. Oh yeah. Hmm. They actually did, um, I think they did some Mortal Kombat ones, too. I don't remember the Mortal Kombat ones. <clears throat> they came a little bit, they came kind of late. Like, the, the regular G.I. Joe line had pretty much completed. They're getting into weird stuff. They're doing, like, the anti-drug force and, like, the space force and stuff. Like, you aren't getting, like, standard figures anymore. That you're getting, <laughs> oh, like... the space force was... That that was like maybe like the the final line. Yeah, I think it was. And before, well, I mean, there's been multiple lines. Like they brought them back like a few years later in like the late '80s, early 2000s. 
and they put out a lot of new characters too but like the, in the early 90s when they moved into like the the space G. force extreme was the was the bigger line that they they retired it for which sucked yeah but uh they did, when they went to like the space force you knew that they had just like given up because there were literally like alien characters yeah <laughs> and it's like this is gone so far from like the, the mid 80s uh like military military combat show that doubled into science fiction and i think i think they were on the heels of like i think that was on the heels of like an anti-pollution group and they had like pollution monsters in that set like they had really gone off the rails and weird oh yeah they're they're they i remember that i had some of the figures from like the the anti-drug line uh then there was like the the environmental one which they had a really cool villain they're called cesspool yeah, I, remember, I had Cesspool. I had him, and he was awesome. And if you uh, if you took his mask off, like one side of his face was all scarred. Mm. He was really cool. Yeah. If you have, if you have, this is just like a weird aside, but if you have not uh, watched the GI Joe episode of uh, the Toys That Made Us, I recommend it. It's it's pretty good, and you get you get some. Uh, quick interviews with Larry Hama, who, if you like G.I. Joe, you can pretty much thank Larry Hama for it, since he did oh, I, I love Larry so Hama. much of it. And He's still doing it? He, yeah, he's that, still doing it. Yeah. IDW, they picked up where the Marvel thing left off, and he's still writing it. Wow. Yeah. Because that man, I, I, I mean, he just seems like, I don't think it's something he set out as, like, his life goal to write, but he seems to, like, have just embraced it and likes it. He's a great he's a great writer, um, and he was he's he, underrated. Like I, I very I feel underrated. Like he I feel like he's never gonna get his due because he spent most of his effort on GI Joe. Yeah, but he is he's he's great. Like his work, he he's had some really great stuff. The he's I will say this like it's people who like GI Joe. And our kind of deeper comic book fans in general appreciate it, but the silent issue of GI yes, Joe. Yes, I, I was just looking up what issue that was. It, that is that was groundbreaking at the time, and it's 21. still it, it's still a fantastic issue. Like if that if that had been like a comic book that came out today, people would rave about it. It's a fantastic. It, it's underrated. It, I would put it up there. I would stack it up there with some of the the most well-known and, and best issues of comic books ever made. It's fantastic. Yeah. It's, it's issue 21. I, I was actually looking that up because I wanted to bring it up. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he was, he was believable in writing a, a military show because he, he had a military background. He was in the United States army. Actually, I think he was in Vietnam. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. 71 years old. He's still doing it. Wow. Man, he's, I, he 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 he. I'm gonna be so sad when he when he stops writing. Yeah, you know, post pandemic, if there is a if he's uh, at any sort of comic book show that's within my availability to get to, like I def I need to go and get something signed by him. Like he that would be yeah. fantastic. G.I. Joe is something I've started to appreciate more as an adult because I. When I was a kid, I was a bigger Transformers fan, but mm-hmm. G.I. Joe really, like, when you get down to, like, the comics and stuff, just has better writing behind it. Agreed. They they haven't done a good job with, like, 
like IDW hasn't done a good job with their own continuity with it for some reason, but um, the Marvel run is like I, the Marvel run is like quietly a great like series of comics that shouldn't have worked as well as it did. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason that a company took a toy line comic and made it as good as they did. Yeah. So anyway, um, we'll go off to 10.30. We have the Pound Puppies. And this actually started, and I don't remember the show. I remember watching the show, but I remember the TV movie better. I feel like I definitely remember the show. Uh, It got a, it got a, it got like a, it eventually got like a theatrical release at some point. Hmm. Because it, it had, like, I think it was, like, Big Paw or something, so it was, like, a Bigfoot-esque um, thing. I, my, wi- my wife still has her pound puppy, because those were, those were big toys at the time, too. Oh, that's true. They were. Oh, they were but, huge. Yeah. Yeah. I watched the opening to this, and it, it felt a little... I didn't dig deeper, because, like... It feels like one of those things where, like, they introduce all the characters and it's like, oh, they're all, like, going to be one dimension, like, one note um, characters and stuff. Pretty much. Um, I remember when they were introduced through, like, a direct TV movie or a direct video movie, I think. I thought it was TV, but it might have been. It might have been on TV and then put out on video pretty quick. I know, like, I don't know about you guys, but, like, this is pre-Blockbuster, but I remember, like, there was a, like, a locally owned video rental shop near my house, Mm -hmm. and they had a kid's section that had, like, got all the Transformers VHS when they came out, like, G.I. Joe and, like, all these other random, like, TV shows, like, um, and humanoids would pop up there, like, Bigfoot Mm. and the Muscle Machines. I know this Pound Puppies movie showed up. Um, mm-hmm. Stuff like the the My Little Pony movie. Um, so. Yeah, I remember those would show up too. My I don't know why, but my folks weren't real big on like uh, there were some folks in my class at school that were big on the Pound Puppy train, but my parents weren't. I don't remember what the deal was. And I don't remember if this last. I don't remember if it lasted long either. I, I feel like it might have come and gone pretty quick, but it might have hung around for a while. Yeah, this may have been another one that that sprung out of the desire to sell the toy line, because when I, you would get the toys, it, it would have like a little pet carrier with the the stuffed animal inside. Yeah. Um. Now these these aren't pound puppies, but I remember I had one, and these are much later. Do you remember the dogs that, like, they look like a dog, but then you could, like, roll their lips up and, like, roll their eyes down and they'd look mean? I don't feel like I remember this. And then they later altered them so that you could, like, pull a cape out of their back and, like, put, like, their eyes down and then they had, like, a superhero mask on? No. I don't remember what they were called, though. (laughs) But, um... Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have a lot to say about Pound Puppies. I'm guessing like this would have been a perfectly acceptable cartoon, though. Like, I don't think I would enjoy it as an adult, but I'm guessing it's inoffensive. 
so then at 11, we have the Bugs and Tweety show, some more Looney Tunes reruns. Yeah, which um, is always going to hold a place in my heart. Then we have Ewoks still hanging on at 11.30. So <laughs> um, by my estimation, Ewoks must have done better than droids to survive. I feel I've seen... I've seen the cartoons. I don't really remember them that well, but I do remember droids more. And Ewoks was more. If you look at, I mean, look. If you look at the lineups for the show, most of these shows uh, for, on ABC, CBS, NBC, a lot of them have like cute anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, they do. And that was basically Ewoks was right in that vein. Whereas droids was about uh, C-3PO and R2D2, but it was a lot weirder and it had more it had it was a more standard like star wars cartoon yeah whereas ewoks is almost like a fantasy-esque esque show okay so that is our abc lineup i actually feel that that's um that's a decent lineup because you kind of have ghostbusters anchoring like Still Looney Tunes, Pound Puppies, which I'm going to say is okay, and Flintstones Kids, which I would say I would say I have pleasant memories of, but I wouldn't call quality, and then you have Care Bears and Wuzzles. <laughs> so I think I think you have, like, I think you have a fairly decent-ish lineup with some variation, um, but overall kind of bland with, it, you know, on the edges. Mm-hmm. So we're gonna head over to CBS. Um, so we're gonna we're, we still got the Berenstain Bears at eight. Um, we talked about this. This is kind of like cartoon, um, cartoon retellings of some of the books. Okay. And then um, so we go to eight thirty, oh. which is Wildfire. Which, I have no recollection of this, so this is like some girl in her horse with like a witch. And um, I showed it to my wife because I thought she might have remembered it, and she did not. My wife probably would, but she's busy right now. I, I feel like I remember seeing like the intro for it or something, but I was not the target demographic. I watched the intro, and it was very wordy, so I did, it like, I like memory <laughs> dumped it. So it's it's kind of like whenever you start a movie and they have the long narration at the beginning because they don't know how to give you the information. Yeah, and they didn't make it interesting. Like I'm gonna go off of um, because it was on Saturday mornings eventually, but like Count Duckula has a lot of narration, but it's at least memorable because you remember them like a- accidentally throwing ketchup in the machine instead of blood, <laughs> and um, he comes out a vegetarian. <laughs> okay. Um, so that's at least interesting, and you have, like, the fake Vincent Price announcer. Yeah. Um, funny story about Count Decula. I guess Vincent Price was livid when he heard the fake Vincent Price because he would have done the narration for them had they asked him. Hmm. And can you imagine how it would feel hearing that? You'd be like, oh. Oh, no. He's like, he's like I was in Thriller. <laughs> <laughs> he used to do um he used to do some murder mystery show on PBS I have like vague recollections of 
a murder mystery show on PBS. Yeah, he was like the host. Is this like a proto unsolved mysteries or something? No, it was like it was like it was like a it was like a drama like show with like it wasn't like real. It was like actors, but he was like he was almost like the like a horror movie host with it. Okay. Um, and he just would introduce stuff. Hmm. Okay, so we're gonna go. Oh, we've expanded. So um, Muppet Babies now owns the nine to ten slot. Yeah. Yeah, they do. Um, we talked about them in depth last time. I'd say, um, I would say, this is up there with Ghostbusters as a heavy hitter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it because Ghostbusters and Muppet Babies both pull from an already existing and very well liked property, so you're going in with that weight already behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, you, even though Ghostbusters is not a kids movie, for some reason people have come to the idea it is. They made a good show out of it that was meant for kids, but people already knew Ghostbusters. People already loved the Muppets. You'd have to screw up really hard to, you know, not um, not be a you know, e- even without the shows being the quality they were, you'd have to screw up pretty hard to completely sink those. And, and Muppet Babies lasted a long time, which yeah, was yeah. rare. It was rare for cartoons to last more than two or three years in this era. Yeah. But that's um so that's Muppet Babies for Flintstones kids. So that that um that despite Muppet Babies being a great show, it, I think you're kind of starting to see a pattern here of why Saturday morning cartoons started declining. Stagnation. Stagnation, like lack of creativity, um, mm-hmm. you name it. So <clears throat> we're gonna bump up to ten here. Galaxy High School, which I forgot to watch an opening for this. I vaguely remember this, but I've never seen. I've never seen this show. I did see the show. I remember it. Uh, I remember watching a lot of it and enjoying it. Uh, it only. It only had 13 episodes, it looks like. Is it essentially just like um, your typical high school thing with like aliens with some sci-fi yeah, things around the, it? The premise was that, like, I guess it's, you know, in, in the future where it's understood that there's aliens uh, and other alien cultures, societies, etc. And I guess, you know, mankind can travel to these other worlds. And the premise is that, of course, it's like a high school, and basically you're having two uh, human uh, teenagers who get ex- accepted into Galaxy High School, this like intergalactic school where it's populated by different alien races, and the two of them get a- accepted, and then it's kind of like them trying to fit in uh and like the you know like the the wacky hijinks and conflict there is in like trying to fit in, it's uh it was like inoffensive, it was okay I I liked it but it was it was more just like a humorous show. Mm-hmm. That seems like something that you could um you could revisit. Is like a remake. Yeah. Um, speaking of remakes, 
Um, at ten thirty, we have Teen Wolf. <laughs> I they just had that MTV show. Was that MTV or was that CW? No, that was like MTV. Okay. Although I, I think, I think. Well, let me look this up because I want to say. I want to say I want to say that they they played that show as more like serious. Really? Yeah, the, the MTV one was serious. It was more of a horror show, I think. Yeah, I think it was. And that's like I haven't I haven't watched it yet, but I think that's the whole premise behind uh, the Netflix Adventures of Sabrina show. Yeah. Is that I mean Sabrina, Teenage Witch is a it's it's an it's an Archie Comics property. Like the whole, yeah. it, like like with Archie Comics, it's supposed to be like lighthearted and and doesn't take itself too seriously. But this, I think that show plays it very straight. It's like just a straight up like supernatural horror show, almost like it's Buffy the Vampire Slayer or something like that. Oh, the Netflix one. Yeah, which yeah. is so weird after the what the the mid to late nineties uh, version of it too. Well, Melissa John Hart. Yeah. 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 Which Kevin Nash showed up in. You know, I. I <laughs> Wasn't that um, like I a was... TGIF show? Yeah, it was. Okay. You know, um, speaking of speaking of tying things together every time, do you know the the lady that plays Punky Brewster actually beat Melissa Joan Hart out to be Punky Brewster? Wow, really? really? Huh. Yeah. I did not know that. Tying it all together. <laughs> nice Bringing it back. Nice Mind look. control. <laughs> Mind control. <laughs> um, what were we at? Oh, Teen Wolf. Okay, I was gonna say. I wonder. I wonder if anyone has had more of their movie properties turn into cartoons than Michael J. Fox. It's a good question. Because uh, we've got Teen Wolf and Back to the Future. Yeah. What? What else? There be. I think, I think there's one other one that got um, um uh... but I mean I, I mean even at two I don't know anyone else that really had two of their properties get like direct cartoon yeah so, my favorite just little Michael Fox Back to the Future aside is that when he and his band are trying out to play for the school dance they get called down by Huey Lewis playing a Huey Lewis song for being too loud. That's and funny. I didn't know that was Huey Lewis for until like last year because I, I was just like, oh, okay, well, that's not going to... And then I was like, oh, that's Huey Lewis. They're playing Huey Lewis's own song at Huey Lewis and he's turning them down. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. I'm probably going to out myself as having bad taste, but I feel like Teen Wolf's actually like a decent movie. I liked it as a kid. I watched it quite a few times. Yeah, I I haven't seen it as an adult. I probably I'd probably take that back. I know Bill Simmons when he did his big book of basketball used Teen Wolf analogies a lot. <laughs> this is a this is really I, <laughs> people are gonna be like what what? But the soundtrack for Teen Wolf is oddly very good. It's so so 1980s i mean there's just like synthesizers and, and stuff like that but it's got a couple really good songs on it oh, that's uh, interesting. i'm looking that up now because i gotta see this the song win in the end by uh mark wow. safran safran 
is a really good song, and it's so 1980s. I think there's like a synthesizer and everything. That's hilarious. Uh, I kind of vaguely remember this Teen Wolf show. I didn't until I actually like looked up uh, images of it for the, the podcast, and I remember it only because it has a picture of like the dad. Let me. It has a picture of like the dad as a werewolf. And I remember that because his let me pull up a picture. Oh yeah, because he had like these really weird funky ears. They're like pointy ears. <laughs> or maybe it's the granddad. I don't know. Just because it's animated and it'll be a short aside. One of my favorite episodes of Futurama is where Bender gets hit by a wear car. I don't remember that. And um, he so he gets hit by a wear car. So on a full moon, he turns into a car and he starts trying to kill Fry. <laughs> and I think um, I think um, Calculon was the original wear car. Okay. Um, yeah, but I think I'm the only like mega Futurama fan on this podcast. Okay, are we ready? Are we ready to hit the big one? Uh huh. Okay. Um, Eleven o'clock. Um, Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, so let us talk about probably one of the most famous people that was on uh, Saturday morning in the eighties. Lawrence Fishburne is Calvert. Cowboy. Cowboy. Cowboy Curtis. Yeah. <laughs> I can't look at images of that anymore because all I can imagine is that it's Morpheus standing there going, there's something gone horribly wrong. Does he ever talk about like doing Cowboy Curtis? Like, does he have like, do you know if he has like um any sort of like affinity for it? Cause it's funny. It's funny. We're doing this because I, because for Halloween this year, I watched the first three um nightmare on Elm streets and he's in three. Huh? I don't know. I want to say I feel like someone brought it up before, and he just like kind of laughed it off. He's it's just like a, a you know a gig he did. I don't think he he hates it or has any deep like like uh, nostalgia for it. It's such a weird thing though because um, the guy is it Paul is it Paul Rubens? Yeah. Yeah. He he like. Um, my wife talked about how much she loved the show, and I remember having a deep affinity for it at the time. Oh, it's because huge. like I said, I loved like their word of the day, and they'd all like freak out. And um, mm. they did, they did a they did that on Simpsons once, which mm-hmm. led to um, which led to the wolf getting out and groundskeeper Willie and the wolf wrestling. Mm. And um, that's actually one of my favorite lines though is um, Bart's leaving. And Willie and the wolf are sitting outside, and he's sharing like his booze with it. He's like, he's like, ah, oh, don't feel bad for losing. I was wrestling wolves while you're still at your mom's teat. <laughs> but he's, but Paul Rubens has been such a fucking creep, and like, like perpetually screws up because. Remember, he was in Mystery Men, and he was really good in his role, and like, it seemed like it was gonna revive his career, and then he got busted with like the the weird like um, kid porn like art or whatever yeah and he tried to pass it off as like oh it's just uh kitsch yeah 
But I think he got busted with the dude who is like the principal at Ferris Bueller, who Ooh. is oh. is like a pedophile. Yeah. Ooh. How did who, who showed up? Okay, I I can say this now. Finally, shows that he's in Beetlejuice too. Yeah, he's in. Yeah, that's right. So yes, I finally saw it. Was it um? Interest. I wasn't um. Wasn't the dad on Alpha Creep too? Speaking of like eighty properties, I don't know that he was a, a like a creep, but he unfortunately, I think, in the later part of his life, became very addicted to drugs. Oh, okay. And I think there were rumors that he would engage in sexual acts for drugs or money. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. I How mean, did um? You know what always still astounds me? How did Gary Glitter slide on that credit card defense for research? I don't know. Well, didn't that work for the the dude from The Who? No, maybe I'm mixing up incidents. I think you're mixing up. I don't remember Gary Glitter sliding. I think Gary Glitter just, like, escaped... No, I think like, he, like, I think it popped up again, because I think, like, Thailand or something, like, yeah. was gonna, like, was gonna jail him, and it was, like, I think he bailed because, because remember at hockey games in the 90s, like, his thing was, like, goal music, and then, like, that, they, they couldn't get rid of that fast enough. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, because, cause Pee Wee's downfall started, because he got caught, um, Let's let's handle this delicate, shall we say, pleasuring himself in a movie theater? Yeah, in a specific kind of movie theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, on one hand, I guess if you're going to be an adult and that's what you're going to do, that's what you're going to do. But not whenever you're the host of a kids show. I don't think the show was still on at the time. I feel oh like really? That just um, just I feel like that just torpedoed like. Because I feel like I feel like now people remember the movie more because I feel like it's safer to like the movie because his creepiness is a little more. Um, I don't want to say harmless, but I feel like it's it's less threatening in like a movie that's kind of geared towards adults. Okay. He was in uh, the Buffy movie too, I think. That so that I know you're talking about him uh, kind of trying to revitalize his career with the Mystery Men. That was where I felt his, uh, I guess, career rehabilitation first kind of started, because I think the Buffy gig was only maybe about a year or so after his arrest, and oh, that quick. I think uh, when did Buffy come out? Maybe it was actually a few years later. I want to uh, say. Are we I talking felt... about the movie or the Buffy the or movie. the T? Uh, that was like '92, wasn't it? Yeah. So okay, that was that was about like a year after. Uh. And he was really good as, like, the vampire sidekick. And he was funny. Uh, and that kind of got people being like, oh, well, maybe he's not so bad. But his career really didn't... He didn't really improve a lot until later on. Uh, and I guess it's never really completely rehabilitated. Yeah, no, because I think, I think even if... I mean, I think even, like, let's say... Let's say, I don't know, I think it's hard to trust someone mm. when they can be such a, like, a PR liability. This is taking out, like, whether they actually, like, have altered their behavior in a positive way or not. Mm-hmm. But I think it's hard to trust someone 
like we were talking about that with um davy boy smith i know it's a weird like connection to draw yeah but like you can be talented but i think you can hit a point where people just don't trust you with with work mm-hmm. or like with something important other than maybe like a bit part that if you get busted isn't going to tank your movie or property. Yeah. And I would guess that there's all there was also just the idea of um just being just the the hesitance of people being like I don't know man. You know, the first thing I think of is is this and well, the amount you know, of work you would have to do to rehab that very publicly would be a lot. Well, I think I think what really screws him too is that I think what people go to first is not the worst thing he got in trouble for because I think people remember the movie theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if you go to research that, then you get popped with the with the the, the child porn, <laughs> and then like I think that's where it really. I think yeah. that's where you're, you're like he what? Yeah. It's worse than I thought. Yeah. Because, like, the, like, the movie theater thing is, like, kind of jokey and stuff and ha-ha. And, you know, he could explain that away with drugs and stuff. But then you're, like, the other one, you're just like, oh, come on, dude. Like, not to really. Yeah. Not to defend him. Uh, but I, I do feel that part of the, the depth of the backlash against him after the 1991 arrest was because he was doing, you know, he did a kid show. Yeah, but I think so too. But if you actually researched him, he was a comedian and he was, he often, he was an adult comedian. Like, he worked blue. I don't think people understood, though. I don't think yeah. we really got an idea until, like, really, I think, I think, like, Howard Stern and Opie and Anthony really opened people's eyes to, like, what stand-up comedians really like in their personal lives to a large degree. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you listen to, to a comedian like Jim Dorton, who, you know, was a, sort of a co-host on Opie and Anthony and then later on did, basically took over the show, like, he would frequently talk about how, how much of a mess he is in his personal life and all of his friends yeah. had mess because it's like there's... This is true of a lot of performers, but especially like stage performers and comedians, like there's some sort of deep hole inside of them that they need to fill with performing and getting, you know, the adulation of fans or audience people. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it, maybe that's the case for him. Uh, I, I kind of feel like I kind of mm-hmm. feel like to be funny, you kind of have to be miserable. Mm-hmm. Like, you, you I gotta, feel like yeah, you've got to have something like that. To, for people to relate to in the joke and I feel like because I even feel like in my personal life like I feel like my sense of humor was much better before I was like married and happy in life mm-hmm. <laughs> because like when I was you know like in my mid-20s and kind of angry about like you know I wasn't quite there yet I feel like I was funnier because like I had a bite to like my humor but now like you know I'm I'm successful in life I'm married I'm happy you know I you know you can still get a good zinger off anymore but you don't have that like there's that there's that spice of like misery that like makes things better. I think it's also why like like attractive like popular people aren't necessarily always funny because you know you got to turn that stuff around. Yeah. To be funny. He has some adversity. Yeah. Yeah. But he was a he was a, he was an adult comedian. He created the character of Pee Wee Herman. Uh, who was very childlike, but uh, from what I understand of like the stage shows he did 
before Pee Wee Herman blew up as like a, a kid show. Mm-hmm. It was a it was like a very weird uh, stage show, and it was like adult. Like it was, yeah. I think there was a lot of um, like sexual innuendo and stuff like that. There uh, was I saw one of them, and there was okay. a joke in it where this package arrives. And like, oh, this is I think the 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 genie in the box that was Jombie, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. This is addressed to Jambi. He takes it over to him. He sets it down. He goes, can you open that for me, Pee-wee? Pee-wee cuts the box open, and Jambi's hands float up out of it. He's like, oh, my hands have arrived. He goes, oh, have you been waiting for those? He goes, yeah, there's been something I want to do with these. And he, like, slams the door shut. And Pee-wee's just kind of like, what? But I saw that, and I'm like, oh, it's this kind of show. I'm just not in the mood for that today. Mm-hmm. That's actually that's actually clever and not like what I like about that joke is um is it's cheeky it doesn't beat you over the head with it yeah um, it's a which, good joke it's just I looked at it, I'm like ah that's not what I'm in the mood for right now and in the eighties were rife with um with I think comics that had very dirty senses of humor doing like kid stuff or like very family friendly stuff because you also had Bob Saget doing Full House (laughs) and you know what's funny is he um he kind of made a comeback off that stupid aristocrats movie because he told like the dirtiest version of it and people realized he's actually funny for the longest time people were just like oh he's just that Full House guy and he he had a cameo in Half Baked that kind of he's the best part of that whole movie (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's, um, he's literally he's literally like in that movie for two seconds and he has the best line <laughs> there's there's a joke in it that'll fly right by you if you're not looking for it too but um you know he did that and then he was in the aristocrats and people are like oh yeah that's right he was a comedian first and not that guy who seemed so just aggravatingly wholesome on full house and america's funniest home videos because he if you go back and watch some of America's Funniest Home Video stuff, he, he'll say something, and then he'll cheese for the camera, and you can almost see a vein in his forehead twitch because he's holding back the joke he really wants to make. <laughs> but yeah, and then I think I think he probably then like goes back to his goes to his ATM and takes out like ten thousand dollars and throws it on the floor and cries as he rolls in it. <laughs> It, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like I said, I remember liking Pee Wee's Playhouse, but it's it's a hard topic to tackle because I don't think you can tackle Pee Wee without talking about his um, indiscretions in life. Yeah, that's um, it's it, kind of tainted forever. Yeah, and it probably again, it probably wouldn't be if not for the fact that this is like a kid show. Yeah. So the fact that the host of this extremely popular kid show then got caught or busted twice for sexual depravity, <laughs> it <laughs> it does kind of forever taint it. Yeah. Uh, just let, before, I know we were talking about the Pee Wee Herman, uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse, but I, I don't know if it was the same for you guys. Maybe you guys are a little younger than me, so maybe not. But I just remember as a kid – uh, at least with my uh, friend group, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure was like a huge, huge movie. Like it was a huge success. 
I remember like Large Marge was like a, <clears throat> was like it was like a was a reference that lasted I think well into early adulthood with my group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um I was you know um I haven't seen it in a long time actually. You do you guys uh know who directed that? No. I used to know. This is going to blow some people's minds. Tim Burton. Oh, that was going to be my guess, actually. Okay. That, that I did know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It makes sense, though. It, it it's very um, it has it has Tim Burton touches to it. Yeah, it's uh it's actually his first film. Oh, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um. So we have two more shows for CBS. We're getting into reruns here. The Puppy's Great Adventures. Um, this is about like a family that's moving and their dogs like fall off a boat and they fall in with like a band of dogs and they're like traveling over the world trying to like find their owners. Uh, I feel like this started out as like a movie and then got like subsequent follow-ups. I also feel like this was a book. Uh, they probably went back and made. Um... Homeward Bound out of the original idea. Uh, Homeward Bound would have predated this because Homeward Bound was um, it was it wasn't Homeward Bound at the start. That's a remake of I think The Incredible Journey, which was like a '60s Disney movie. Oh, okay. Um, that might have been like a Wonderful World of Disney like TV movie though. I remember watching that in school though as a as a, as a kid. Um, I remember watching episodes of this. It's your, I'd say it's your typical, like, Hanna-Barbera affair for uh-huh. the era. Um, I will note, though, because it's going to come up again, um, different network, another show with stray dogs. <laughs> there was a, uh, there, there was kind of a, a glut of those. It, there, you can kind of see this year. I think the shows are better overall, but there's very there's a lot of redundancy going on here. And then we finish off CBS. Uh, Twelve to one is Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling. Uh, sorry, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, which we talked about. Um, so I think we can move on. Yeah. So uh, CBS's lineup is. I think it has a lot of the problems the last year did. I think. Muppet Babies and Pee Wee's very good, but they're kind of pulling a lineup that's not amazing again. Yeah. I don't know what it is with CBS. Like, I feel like if they they I feel like they have like the framework which should be a good lineup, but they keep just like using too much filler. Well, it's it's stuff that either you don't you don't ever remember again, like Wildfire. Like I, I never. I have no knowledge of this one. Mm-hmm. And then it shows that I kind of remember because I watched at the time, like Galaxy High School, but no one remembers that. And then Teen Wolf, like I, only because of this show did I vague, did I actually semi-recall, oh, that's right, they actually did a, an animated show off this property. But I bet you people, even people who watched Teen Wolf, the movie, when they were younger, probably don't realize that they made a cartoon show of it. Or if they watch the cartoon, they don't remember it existed. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to head over to NBC for our final network. Um, 
So we've got Kissy Fur. Uh, Matt, you remember this because I have no recollection of the show other than the name. I've, I do remember it. I remember watching it. But if you ask me, like, any of the characters, I don't know any of the characters other than the main character, who I think was called Kissy Fur. Uh, and he was, like, a little brown bear with, like, a yellow T-shirt. Uh, and that's pretty much the extent of my of my recollection of this show. But well, I, I feel like it was, like, a very... Like an inoffensive, uh, talking animal type of show. There's a lot of talking, talking that, animals. That littered, like, the 80s. And, I mean, I guess it still kind of does. I mean, even kids... It, 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 that's kind of just like a... For, for young children, obviously, it's... You have, you know, cute, inoffensive animals talking. Like it's That's what a lot of shows do, just because... Kids are attracted to animals. They love animals. It's probably easy to animate, too. You don't have to do a whole lot of action sequences with talking animals. Yeah. Um, so at 8.30, we still have the gummy bears there, so a lot of bearing going on here. <laughs> Actually, in the 8 o'clock hour between the three networks, we have four shows about bears. That's true. So we have the Care Bears, we have the Berenstein Bears, we have Kissy Fur, and then we have the Gummy Bears. So, um, there's really, there's, like, because it's going to start happening in a couple years, but I think you're really seeing why Saturday morning started falling apart. Because even in this first hour, like, I don't feel like there's a lot of good variety here. Yeah. Yeah. If you look through by time slot, if it was if it was probably me at that age, then eight o'clock CBS, eight thirty NBC, uh, nine's back to CBS, ten is ABC, ten thirty uh, breakfast. Um, for me, eleven would probably be ABC. Uh, eleven thirty. My folks are getting up and making me start do stuff. So, you know, it, it's it's a lot of there's a lot of bouncing around, and I have to wonder if they're like, oh well, if they're putting that in this slot, then we just got to sacrifice that with some filler that no see, one's going to watch anyway. I would probably have been CBS at eight, NBC at eight thirty, um, CBS at nine to ten, bounce over to ABC at, for Ghostbusters. Um, based on my options there, I probably would have hung around for Pound Puppies, and then I probably would have bounced between, uh, you know, the, the 311 shows, I think I would have probably bounced between equally. All three of them? Yeah, uh, probably. <laughs> like, I think Pee Wee's Playhouse would have been my preferred... Um, choice there, but I could also see watching Bugs Bunny and Foofer I have recollection of, and it doesn't seem like that was an awful show on its, on its, like, on the, on, like, a very surface level of watching a bit of it. Like, it had some effort put into it. Okay. Um, so we're going to go, what about you, Matt? Do you know how you would have approached this schedule? Uh, I'd probably do ABC from eight to nine. 
then from switch over to CBS from nine to ten. Uh, ten, I would do World Ghostbusters at ABC, and I, I, I'm with you. I'd probably stick around for Pound Puppies. Uh, I'd switch over to CBS for PB's Playhouse, uh, and then probably like eleven thirty, go to Star Wars, and maybe back to CBS for Rock and Wrestling. I'm thinking I, I wouldn't have I don't think I would have been around still by noon because I think my parents would have had me out doing stuff. I think I would have to watch it again, but based on my preferences, if I was still around at noon, I think I would take NBC and Laser Tag Academy over Hulk Hogan at the time. I have no memory of Laser Tag Academy. It's based on so that was essentially selling toys like the, the those laser tag sets had gotten really big. Oh at the time. God! I had laser tag. Laser tag was awesome. Um, that because that's around the time when you started. Do you remember when you used to be able to get those VHSs that were like video games? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah they never did work right. No. <laughs> Try as I might, they never did work correctly. I think even D&D had some, like, VHS, like, game-related releases at the time. Probably. Because that was a big thing. I remember I had, like, a big, like, um, uh, um, what was that called? Hi-Ho the Cherio game? I think that had, like, a, a VHS tape with it when I was young. Okay. It's very vague, though. So, um... We still have our metric Smurf load of Smurf here because um, they go from 9 to 10.30. Um, that is a lot of Smurfs. It's a Smurf and a lot of Smurf and Smurf. I mean, just from a programming perspective, I don't know, like, I don't know if you can expect a kid, like, to hang out for 90 minutes of Smurfs. Like, they might check in for, like, a half hour, but I feel like they would, they would wander. Oh yeah. And oh. then um let's see. NBC's very not there's a little effort put into NBC this year. A lot of these are shows that are still putting out like new seasons, so they don't have a lot of new shows this year. Mm-hmm. Um Alvin and the Chipmunks at ten thirty. Same deal, just new episodes. I think the show ran from like for like a long time. So they're just just a new season. Um, Eleven is Foofer, so he's like a blue dog, um, who, his owner dies and leaves him a house, and, um, he has, like, a bunch of strays staying there, and this lady's, like, trying to steal the house from them, and she has a chihuahua. Um, so, again, um, each network has a, a show involving stray dogs in some manner. I don't know what the 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 stray dog kick was. Like who 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 ran into their meaning is like I just got word from over at ABC they're making a cartoon about stray dogs and the executive slams his fist on the table and like we can't let them corner the stray dog market. I don't know because um I was trying to think of any movies that would have come out around this time that would have would have would have caused like knockoffs but the only thing i can really think about 
well, most of the stuff is later. Yeah. And I don't think that would have affected it. And the only thing I can think of Disney related was like the Aristocats, but that's like a seventies movie. Yeah. But like the, the, the things I was thinking about was like Oliver and company, which I don't think was really a hit. And that's like later in the eighties and all dogs go to heaven, which is also later in the eighties. I actually thought about that. I thought it was, well, maybe all dogs go to heaven came out around this time, but you're right. It's later. I think it's like 89, 90. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know what the thing was. I, I'm guessing, I'm guessing like that's just an easy thing to do. Mm. I, I, I just don't know. This one's okay. It actually lasts two seasons, so it must have been like semi-popular-ish. Mm-hmm. So then, um, eleven thirty, we have. Punky Brewster again. I don't know if there are new episodes or not. I didn't look up if this lasted more than a couple seasons. Mm. Like, as far as episodes. Um, and then 12, we have Laser Tag Academy, which we just talked about. Um, just trying to sell Laser Tag um, games. And then Kid Video is still hanging on there at 12.30. So, um, that is our NBC lineup. So, um... Looking at the schedules again, I'm going to vote. I actually think Muppet Babies gets bumped down to the second best show, and I think Real Ghostbusters is the best show this year. I think I'm with you on that. And then, um, what do you think, Matt? I think I would agree. So based on what I'm looking at, um, I actually think um, we kind of picked ABC last time and we just kind of said the strength of the schedule from start to finish but I kind of think ABC takes it again this year and they take it by a wider margin just because they're putting out a stronger lineup from start to finish again uh, yeah for just overall ABC I think ABC has more of what I liked or would have liked at the time then the the real Ghostbusters and the Bugs and Tweety show would would carry me past what the others have like I'd prefer those two beyond what's on the other and they're kind of hitting they're kind of trying to hit all the genres I feel like feel like they're hitting some comedy they're hitting some action mm-hmm. and some in-between stuff like I feel like NBC is really lagging the other two channels, though. Like, I just don't see... Their lineup just feels like there's not much thought put into it. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know. What what do you guys think as far as, like, the best? That's, uh... That's difficult. Because I... Well, I'm going to say not NBC because I feel I like Gummy Bears a lot and I enjoyed Smurf as a kid, but I would not give it to them. So it's between ABC and CBS. Mm-hmm. So it's really like which which is better. You have ABC with Care Bears, which is very popular, Real Ghostbusters, which is an objectively great cartoon show. Mm-hmm. And probably, you know, like Bugs Bunny uh, reruns. Mm-hmm. 
but CBS has Muppet Babies, which was also a great show, um, and PB's Playhouse, which uh, was very huge, and people still people of our generation still remember it and remember it fondly, even though it, it is kind of tainted. Mm. <laughs> so it's really like that's, you know, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna I'll give it to ABC just on the strength of I love how much I love real Ghostbusters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Pound Puppies, Flintstones Kids, Care Bears, Bugs Bunny reruns probably did okay enough in the ratings. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, I mean, again, people don't people don't know, people don't remember Wildfire, Galaxy High School, Teen Wolf. So it's really like that's it's CBS is almost like it's a, it's a two show lineup, and I don't know that they can drag it across the finish line. Right. <clears throat> yeah. I, I, I just, I look at it and it's, it, part of it is, as Brad had said, is like, oh, it's reruns. Um, and then part of it, you look at it and you're like, ah, this is just better. And I, um, I mean, even as a kid, I probably wasn't even waking up until nine o'clock on a Saturday if I could get away with it. I've never been a morning, uh, never been a morning type. So for me, you can you can lop off like the first two blocks, and truth be told, that doesn't really even change my uh, my assessment all that much. Um, just yeah, I'm on ABC again. It, I, and the Smurfs were filler as far as young me was, and I didn't like Alvin and the Chipmunks very much. So I liked Alvin and the Chipmunks, but I don't feel like they were like your premier premier like appointment viewing. They were like the hey, if this made it into first run syndication, they were showing at like two o'clock in the afternoon and nothing else was on. Yeah. Like they were, they were a good time, way to kill that half hour. Yeah. I, I'm just not, I'm just not, never was really on the Smurf train. They were the kind of, they were the kind of show that you hoped was on or that you could hit if like, you know, your parents went over to someone's house and you had to watch some god awful black and white TV and hope that they got good reception on the the network channels and that something you wanted to watch was actually on. Something close enough to be unbearable. Yeah. That you weren't going to get chewed out over. Because you may yeah. want to watch Ghostbusters, but they might be like, you're not watching that next time. Uh. You know, I'm kind of surprised because um, Matt and I have been talking about and showing clips um, every now and then. Kind of shocked my parents actually let me watch in humanoids. Uh, looking back on it, yeah, that is a show that is—it's really kind of like grotesque. It's—I don't know how it made TV. Yeah, the so for those that don't know, it's the premise is that there there's like a, a race of giant monsters. I mean, I'm talking like kaiju size monsters yeah. almost, and but they're. They're not even just like, oh, it's like Godzilla kaiju. It's like these are like horrific monsters. Mm-hmm. One, like there's Tendril that's like a... He, Tendril is clearly Cthulhu. Like he's meant to be Cthulhu. 
And if you like, if you like, shoot off his arm or something, then he grows another one. Yeah. And then there's there's Metlar, who is like this monster made of metal, and um, who looks like a like the devil, like he's demonic looking. Yeah. Uh, and somehow the worst is decompose, decompose, who's basically like a giant like lizard skeleton thing. He's a Cobra Commander and Starscream's voice actor. Yeah. And he, if he touches you, you turn into a giant zombie creature. Until light touches you. Yeah, it's it is ostensibly it's a cartoon show for kids, and it is it's completely like Lovecraftian level awful. Like it's just and like they bring like um this doctor helps like one of the bad guys, and he brings him back from the dead, and he's like holding his skull with like a worm coming out of it, like on a kids show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he's like so horrible when they bring him back that even like decompose is kind of like freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just um, it's just I can't believe that made that made um TV at the time. Yeah. Now I I want to ask you guys. So we've done we've done two years of Saturday morning cartoons. Um, what have you thought about the quality of what they've like put out so far? I feel like 86 was better than 85. Yeah. This we're we're not we're not yet in like the golden age. No. We're definitely in a lull of like I feel like what's happening right now is um the cartoons are needing to improve. Like I think mm-hmm. I, I think what's happening is we're seeing like the last vestiges of like 60s and 70s style cartoons mm-hmm. and we're right on the cusp of like Disney like really putting out like those high quality like DuckTales mm-hmm. type cartoons. So I, I feel like I feel like we're in like this transition period and I think because of what we know is coming, like a lot of this stuff feels dated and not up to par. Yeah. But I also feel like running around in first run syndication at the time, like that stuff's just better. Despite maybe flaws it has, like I think, um, I think I, I'm just gonna pull like a random show. I mean, it's not random just because, but like, I think, I think if you if you said, hey, you can watch any of this stuff on this Saturday morning cartoon stuff, or you could watch Thundercats, I think Thundercats would beat everything but Ghostbusters and Muppet Babies. Hmm. I would agree with that. Because, you know, in first run around this time, you I mean, I don't know if Thundercats quite started yet, but you have Transformers, you have G.I. Joe, you have Jim, um, you have Voltron. Like, it's just... Oh, forget it. Yeah, like that, all of those. Yeah. Are better. Mm-hmm. They're just better. So I, I can kind of see why the ratings were starting to decline. I kind of feel, though, because NBC drops out around 92 or 93... I really feel like whoever was running NBC didn't like having cartoons at the time and they are intentionally sabotaging it with like some of the lineups they're putting out right now. Because mm-hmm. it just doesn't feel like there's effort put into that. Like I know Alvin in the Chipmunks and Gummy Bears was popular, but like why do you have 90 minutes of the Smurfs? Like you could even do an hour and I would feel better about it but it's just like you're just trying to eat time with yeah with smurfs probably because like there's a lot of episodes and you can sneak reruns in there and like you can cheap out on it 
Oh yeah, there's there's no question. So do we want to do we want to quickly like for about ten minutes touch on um, the Undertaker? I guess calling it quits officially. Sure. Um, I I did. <laughs> I was actually going to sit down and watch Survivor Series because that was on it, knowing full well that Taker's thing would be on last. But I figure, you know, we're going to see. Um, we're going to see people uh, who are going to be, you know, they're, they're going to go out there and they're going to work hard. Um, but uh, I had a power outage from the time of the first match on the card until, and then it came back on right before Taker send off. So uh, the good Lord spared me, I guess. Um, you, you would have missed Lana's, like, um push that i don't understand how they think they're pushing her yeah that's so true i don't get that at all are they pushing her as a face yeah they're trying to make her a sympathetic face by having her be put through a table every week and they've been doing it for like two months now she sat on the ring steps yeah winning a winning a match where she did nothing what is the obsession with having her wrestle i don't know At, at this point i've got to I've got to think that it's a, it's just a, we're mad that, mad at you for stuff you've done, and we're mad that your your husband's gone and signed somewhere else. You know, they, it's feel like, it, it's felt like they've been out to make her not work since they, like, split them up and put her with Dolph Ziggler. Um, official, official, and I, there's a little TM by it, official whipping boy of the Four Corners podcast, <laughs> uh, Dolph Ziggler. You know, I don't, I'm, I don't hate on Dolph, but I, I feel like he's been used in such a way that really devalues him, that if you wanted to do something big with him anymore, you'd have to do a lot of rehab. I don't feel Maybe like he's hated on this show. I, th- I feel like he's just the, the easy, like, example of, oh, of uh, why things are wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he, you're right, you're right. He's a perfect example of someone they've missed the boat on or they've intentionally sank. Um, I think he, I, I, I think he is a good worker. Um, you would have to rehab him. He's someone who, I, I don't think this is going to happen, but I mean, he's someone that if he were to leave the WWE, which he chooses not to, I mean, he chose to resign mm-hmm. or whatever he did. So he, he chooses to stay there. Cause I mean, at this point, I think I think he's just in it for a paycheck. Yeah, but he's someone who I think, talent-wise, if he were to leave in this like let's fantasy book this, I I, I do feel like he if he went to AEW and suddenly like he cared again, I think he could have great matches in AEW. If he were to go, and for example, like maybe do some work with like New Japan, mm-hmm. like, like they bring him in as a guy Jin, like. I feel he would probably put on really good matches in New Japan because I, I think as a worker he's actually very talented. I think it, the problem is that they they well, let's be honest like they dicked him around and dicked him around and dicked him around for so long. I think he like basically stopped caring. I think he decided like oh, okay that's that's all they see they see me as like a utility worker. So uh, I think that's I think what this I'm gonna is, do. I think I think this is Dolph Ziggler honestly. <laughs> Full of money up to my house. I'm not made of stone. 
Yeah, probably. I mean, to... but he's like, I I get annoyed with him though because he agitates like he's gonna leave and then he stays. But like, I mean, I don't necessarily blame the guys because like, because like especially for him, like he's probably popular enough that he's cleared like some decent merch sales mm-hmm. some years. I bet not the last couple years, but like, I mean, it's probably hard to leave when like I bet I bet he clears a million dollars annually. Oh yeah, uh, maybe with everything factored in, yeah. I, I bet with merch sale. I bet he does well merchandise wise. Well, I, I would say pre this year, he's probably easily clearing that. Probably but... last year, because I know last year, like their merch sale started tanking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's also was last year when they like downgraded the quality and all that stuff, and the shirts got really crappy. I know we, I know we, we grumbled about that. Um, but I don't remember when we did. The I think that was I think that was one of I think that was this year, but I think it was in relation to like older. Okay. Older I know stuff. that we. Um, I, I think that um, that that Dolph agitating is just to to raise his his contract amount. Because mm-hmm. yeah. they're like, well, uh, he might. He might leave, and if he does that, then you know he's going to go be talented somewhere. We can't, we can't have that. We got to do something about it. I actually thought Randy Orton was very, um, was very savvy in how he handled his contract negotiation this year. Oh, with his like, uh, yeah, with the the threats to leave and the talking about him on Twitch and stuff like that. And and just buddying up enough. And I mean, I think, I even think, like, I don't even think Cody and those guys mind, like, especially if, like, you're getting one over on management, but I think, I bet he got a little extra because he was, he, he, he played that smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could, I could see that. I don't, I don't even like Orton, but yeah, that was smart of him Orton, too. I, I, um... I don't like him in the ring, but Orton seems like he's a very, like he's become very like good and on the business side for himself. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like Orton's one of those guys, commendably, that probably goes in there and gets every cent that he feels he's worth and does not, um, does not settle. I, I th- and I feel. Go ahead, Brad. And I feel like. Because that's always one of those things that like people that that complain about uh, what Jeff Jarrett did on his way out. I always say like, "Hey man, like it's their fault for leaving the belt on him without a contract. Like he just um, he just took advantage of it." You figure they would have learned after Montreal, right? Yeah, like I mean, if if you were in that position and like be like, "Hey, like you want me to drop the belt to China? Like pay up, buddy." Yeah. Like, yeah. Like I need a new deck made of granite. Like <laughs> let's make this happen. I I think part of what aggravates me about Orton is I'm just so tired of him. Yeah, I agree. He his stuff this year has been better. I like it's it's like substantially better. But I the problem is that he they pushed him for a while. They pushed him way past the point where it's like come on can can you stop yeah uh, and then uh, there is a larger criticism 
about the WWE, which it's just like, well, we're it's 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 almost 2021, like within six weeks or so, and we're st- we still have Randy Orton as um like the top one of the top guys. Who I mean, he literally until like a week ago he was champion, and yeah. he debuted when like 18 years 2003. ago. 2002 yeah around there yeah which i mean again i'm not i'm not saying like he he can't still be a top guy he started very young so even at around like 40 years of age like he could still be like fantastic look how many championships did rick flair still win when he was like 40 or more yeah, or yeah, older but flair flair changed promotions for a couple of years though yeah that's true but it, it, this is just it's like you have so many young guys on the roster and you're still going with like Randy Orton. That's not a knock on Randy Orton because Randy Orton could be a top guy, but it's like, yeah, you know, why isn't, why aren't you putting over people like Ricochet? Yeah. Or Andrade. You know, Andrade, Andrade just befuddles me. <laughs> the dude was like on a hot streak. Everybody was loving it. And then it's just like, no, 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 we're pulling a J turn right here. It's just I if, if if I was booking, like he would be like a cornerstone like talent for me, mm-hmm. and they just they're just wasting him as like a mid card tag act. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they took their foot off the gas when it came to Ricochet. Um, oh, Ricochet's just a jobber now. Yeah, which if if, if it, it, it's staggering. Oh yeah, that it's stunning how they made him just nothing within like what a year or two how, how long has it been since they brought him up like officially he came up last year was it last he's been up he's been up about a year and a half yeah and they they literally just made him nothing yeah because remember because remember he wrestled i swear to god he and cesaro wrestled like 50 times mm-hmm. last year on tv we spent, yeah, they spent all that time building him up, and now um, they're like, he went from, like, progressing up the card to, you know, just being pushed off the building so fast. It's just staggering. But he's saying, like, he had a monster truck battle with Hulk Hogan and <laughs> fell off the Kobo Hall. And no, because his fall was faster than that. Oh. That monster truck battle took forever. <laughs> they they just they just have they they're incapable of making like new guys. They're not. I mean, look at like, look at look, one of the. This, I'm sorry to cut you off, Brad. One of the the most heavily pushed groups in the company that that are actually getting a lot of screen time and are getting over are the Hurt Business. And if you look at all those guys, the youngest of those guys is Cedric, who. Is fairly young. I mean, he's 31, so he's he's at the age where he's probably you know just maybe starting to hit a peak. But MVP, Bobby Lashley, Shelton, all of those guys are mid 40s or older. Yeah. And have been around in the wrestling business for like you know over a decade. Yeah. I think Alvarez said on his on one of the Observer podcasts this week that um, Dominic Mysterio is the only talent under 25 that they're giving any sort of like a push too. Yeah, and I actually I don't I don't mind Dominic. I actually think he's got a lot of talent. I think he has a tremendous potential. 
which I, I do think like he could he could actually actualize it. He, he could realize that talent. But he's a legacy worker. Like he's yeah. Yeah. his dad is his dad is in the business. So he's not just like, oh, this is like a, a jungle boy. Or that he's Jungle yeah. Boy is obviously not in WWE, but it's like there you go. It's like a young talent. Or Darry Allen. Like here's a young talent. Uh, or MGF. MJF. Yeah. All three of those guys. Let me actually look up how old Darby is. I think all those, all those guys. I think Darby's game. like twenty three ish. Dar- no, Darby. I just looked at Darby. Darby's twenty seven, which is like that's he's okay. the oldest of those. Yeah. And that's still very young. Like that kid. Well, unless he injures himself, but that kid could have another like 10, 20 years in the business. Yeah, that's the thing though that the pro- I, I think that's a problem when they took on developmental is they stash guys away, and then you, you kind of piss away, several years of like prime instead. So instead of having guys like, hanging around, you know, climbing the card in their late twenties and stuff, you have guys trying to climb the card in their mid thirties, mm-hmm. and then you kind of just like waste all this potential time because if you, if you go back to like you know, 80s and 90s and, like, territory stuff. Unless you're territory bringing in vets, like, you're building a lot of guys in their 20s, like, up the card. Yeah. Because, like, I bet Del Wilkes was only, like, in his 20s, like, when he was, like, the Patriot and stuff. Yeah. Well, that and that that leads to other problems. That's a bigger conversation because now it's, like, you had NXT, excuse me, has, like, developmental... But now, all of that stuff is televised. Yeah. So, you have guys who are already like getting exposed. So they're they're already kind of like they they and they, and they also just like because NXT is now uh, its own brand, and you need to have stars of the brand and big matches for the brand. Then you wind up stagnating guys because they just wind up being in quote-unquote developmental and NXT for years. I mean, uh, uh, this is going back to, this is going back like a almost two years, like a year and a half, almost two years since we're like halfway to WrestleMania at this point. Uh, but in, in WrestleMania in New York, uh, my friend Damien, friend of the show, Damien Gonzalez, <laughs> he thought uh, at the Monday Night Raw that they were going to debut Undisputed Era, and they didn't. And here we are a year and a half later, Undisputed Era still in NXT. Uh, and they should have brought them up. Now here it is a year later, they're still there. They're stagnant as hell. They're in another War Games. They're in like the fourth, I think the at least the third, maybe the fourth War Games. No, they've been in every War Game, so it's been the it, fourth. I, I hate NXT War Games, though. Yeah. So. But even like the Horsemen were done four years in. Mm-hmm. And it's just like I, that's the thing I've, I've complained about with Undisputed Era is like it doesn't matter like if you if they win still the same place on the card if they lose still the same place on the card like it's just um, there's no stakes to anything. No. So to bring us back around to where we started, Undertaker. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I forgot we started that off. Yeah. yeah. I was going to pull us back around, but like... Um... The the send-off... Here's the thing, is that they they do this, and the send-off was he... You know, they, they bring out all these guys to the ring, 
who were, you know, big or notable opponents for Taker. Great, right? There's there was something that I'm I'm half convinced was a rib in that everyone else is coming out in suits and then they hit the music and the fire and here comes Kane in full gimmick. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of like, ah, uh, well, okay, and then they cut to like a commercial break in a pay-per-view and none of those people are out there. Also, they didn't bring his wife out. They didn't bring Michelle McCool out and edge was apparently there for it. And they didn't send him out either. The, the thing that was most disappointing is, you know, here comes, here comes taker and he does his slow walk to the ring and he gets in there and you can tell that he's struggling back and forth between staying in, in gimmick and and trying not to break down but the problem is and it's not possible right now this wasn't a, a moment that needed a crowd and we didn't get that yeah why couldn't they have waited well the, i mean it's 30 year time i guess they, whatever they, and i'm I'm a little disappointed in Zeb Coulter because obviously he could have loaned Taker his little rascal scooter. <laughs> they, uh, it literally was like 30 years to the day. Yeah. Uh, that he debuted in the WWE as, as the undertaker. So it was yeah. like, like, no, no, yeah. no, Let, let's get it right. He was not the undertaker on his debut. He, for like the first TV taping, he was Kane. The undertaker. Oh, I see. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But, but it was kinda, like 30 years from uh, the first Survivor Series that he appeared in. Yeah. And so he comes out and he does this and he, he cuts a, uh, you know, a pretty good promo. Yeah, I, whenever someone's hanging it up, it's it you can't expect that their promo is going to be um, you know, they're they're going to they're going to be having some feels during it. And he does this thing and he's, you know, I'm going to let the undertaker rest in peace and goes to leave. And it's kind of like, okay, item one, this felt really weird by taking all the Thunderdome screens and turning them into background, like his Titan Tron. Number two, did you honest to God, seriously have like 10 people walk out to the ring and then immediately go back to the back for takers retirement thing. What was you couldn't have them around at ringside. You couldn't have them say, why, why, why do that? You know, as you know, have these people out there who are applauding him for everything he's done. All these, you know, they did with him and that sort of stuff. But no, it's like, okay, y'all go out there. Okay. Now come back. And it's like, what the, what is this? I guess the, uh, the word on the street or the, the conventional wisdom at least is that, they did this for course because of the 30 year uh, mm-hmm. anniversary, but they they're gonna wait until there's actually crowds again. Mm-hmm. Uh, who knows? Like I don't. I it's not gonna be next year. Like maybe no. maybe 2022, 2023, mm-hmm. and that's when you're gonna have Undertaker Hall of Fame, where he gets inducted into the Hall of Fame, and that's when that's when he's gonna have his big retirement yeah. speech, well. and you're gonna they're gonna heavily promote that. That would make sense then. Uh, that's, you know, I get that. That's fine. But it's a, you know, it was disappointing 
to to I, and I get why they did it when they did. It was disappointing not to have him there for that. And I was thinking about that during the entrance because the entrance was long enough for me to sit and think about stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, is it, it how interesting it was to me that you know we've had these different eras of Taker, and for what it's worth, most of those eras. He has done as well as anyone could be expected to perform under those circumstances. You know, it, uh, I disagree. With wait, that. Wait, American, let me finish. American fat ass taker. I'm not gonna, good. I'm gonna get there. What I was gonna say, you know, eras where he's, you know, he's supposed to be the giant, but he's wrestling Yokozuna and Giant Gonzalez and stuff. He did as well as anyone could expect, except for the American badass era, where part of it it felt felt like he was way too far up his own ass. Like with the whole Brock Lesnar in the cell thing. He was uncooperative, but I feel like, um, I feel like his hip problems were pretty bad at the time. Well, being, being uncooperative and then having a a cell match where you're obviously building Brock up and then Taker just kind of quits and then punts him around post match. Cause quote unquote, I ain't feeling it. It's like, come on. Dude, seriously. Yeah, he gets a weird pass for like about uh, four years of like really shitty behavior on his part. Yeah, that was one of those. It's like that that should not have been let slide. But on the other hand, um, and he concussed Canyon. Like I thought that was pretty unprofessional. Yeah. Um, I he really got a pass on that. I don't think he should. Um, he buried O'Hare and Pol- no. Was it Palumbo? It wasn't Gendrag. I think it was he, Palumbo. Uh, I know he and Kane buried Chronic, which was... Well, no, no. That, that was um, a different thing. For some reason, they got off. Like, they came in as a favor, and that match was just god-awful that they fired Chronic, but somehow Taker and Kane didn't get any blame for that match sucking. Well, the other... Yeah, that, that one confuses me, because it was like, hey, we want you to come in and have this match with Taker and Kane. It's like, we haven't been in the ring for like a year and a half. Oh, it'll be fine. Just come on in. It's like, what do you expect? Give him a little heads up time. Let him go shake the rust off. But no. When I think Clark or someone had had a knee injury, like preceding that too. Right. So, you know, just just give it. You know, give him a little heads up, and it's like, well, you know, I'm hurt. I'm not going to be able to, or you know, do something to let him at least prep for it. <clears throat> and then the. Like, like we said, in the American Badass era, where uh, he just seemed way too, like, taking himself seriously. Uh, he did save Tess's life that one time, though. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, he, um, that was actually, it's interesting when you see workers do, um, things that are from experience when he could, when he, when he realized he was losing it and he let the momentum carry him back in the rope so he could get it. Yeah upright like that was um that's interesting to watch sometimes yeah and and it's easy to play off too but uh jr i still if i watch anything for that area and stupid jr is calling him booger red like (laughs) i just want to stab jr with a fork (laughs) (laughs) there's um yeah also that era i think is notable for the worst of takers music um whether it's 
Limp Biscuit or uh, which I, Dead that's, Man. that's was Dead Man Walking that yeah, time. Uh, well, when they put the lyrics to Dead Man Walking, like if it was just instrumental, it's like all right, fine, I guess. But then they put the lyrics to it, and it's like wow, someone someone like wrote this over their lunch break. It, it was funny when Hulk Hogan stole his bike, though. <laughs> and, then, and then he drug Hogan with his bike around. That the is face. that's un, that was an unintentionally hilarious. <laughs> yeah, wasn't um? Didn't he and Kurt Angle get into it because Angle was celebrating with milk and got milk all over his bike backstage? I don't remember that. It could have happened. Nah, Maybe I'm confusing that with like Jericho and Kane had a feud because Jericho spilled coffee on Kane or something. Oh, there yeah. was just some dumb stuff in the 2000s. Yeah, there was. But it, it's a... We're in it, yeah. For the most part, it, with the exception of the, the American Badass stint, Taker did as good a job with a lot of that stuff as anyone could. And I watched some of, afterward, I watched some of the um, Austin interviewing Taker afterward. Austin made a great point. He said, yeah, you, you held the bell, what, like six, seven times, something like that. He says, that's not what anybody talks about when it's Undertaker. It's like, you remember the Undertaker? And no one was like, wasn't he champion so many times? That's not what they talk about. They talk about, you know, the gimmick and the character. And it I don't think so. he ever had like a. I don't feel like. I feel like '97 was like his best like length of run with like actual programs and stuff. Was that the Ministry of Darkness era? No, that's like um, that is like when he beat Sid for it and then lost it to Bret Hart. That was before I started paying as much attention to WWF, so I don't have memory of that. I don't think I I think uh, Ministry of Darkness Taker, if he wanted, only had like one of those like he had it he wanted. I think he might have beat Austin like the night Owen died, and then Austin won it back the next night. Mm, that was Kane. That that was that was um that wasn't when Owen died, but that was that they did do that with with um Kane though because yeah because he won it in a first blood match yeah in a cage I think and then they had like the the rematch the next night but uh, Taker had it uh, I thought through a stretch of the ministry angle um if he did it was short well in any event it would you know just different versions of the character from the original old west Taker to transitioning more into the classic dead man into the ministry angle and then into the biker era and then then taker texas ranger to kind of finish us out i feel like ministry taker had some issues though because you could really tell um he was having some health issues at the time Mm -hmm. because i think he was having because i think he needed i think he had to get hip surgery like around that time and you could really tell like weight wise and like just entering performance that he was really suffering but that angle kind of helped cloak that for him um i'm looking at range right now to see if um the he had one the shame of that would have was that the that angle could have been better if 
if someone else had been the higher power. But we got what we got. Is over the edge of the night Owen died? Yes. Okay. Is is that let me see. He wanted it over the edge, yeah. So he wanted the night Owen died because I think they had to like change some stuff. Mm-hmm. And then um Austin won it back like a month later. Okay. Matt, I've been talking a lot. I should I should sit back and let no, you get that's away fine. Edge, edgewise. No, yeah, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> so it's it's the sun setting on. Uh, maybe maybe this isn't the right term, but it's what comes to mind at the moment. It's the like the last great gimmick, I guess, is. Um, you know, you think big gimmicks, then then Taker's kind of the the uh you know the last holdover from the previous eras and the longest run and the the biggest mystique and that sort of stuff he's also an underrated athlete um i was sending you guys clips like a couple months ago unrelated to this of him doing like pre-wwe doing like crazy like doing rope walk like leg drops and um Mm -hmm. and stuff um yeah he was i mean that that guy had um some He's an underrated, like, athletic freak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned his rope walk. Uh, the, the fact that once a year he would bust out a running uh, plancha. Just, I feel like... I feel or, like um, that's a tope con hilo, isn't it? Sorry, my yeah. bad. I feel like um, I feel like he was playing with um, fire with that, because I don't think I'd want to catch his ass coming over the <laughs> top rope at me. Well, that's why I only the, did it once a year. Like, the one time he did it, uh, Kane and Vader are the ones that caught him, for example. Yeah. Or, you know, it could just end up like Bailey at Survivor Series where the sea just parts and no one tries to catch her. Oh. Oh, I hated that. You know. But um, there's a funny story with AJ Styles and Sting. Okay. Where Sting didn't want to do a dive because he didn't think AJ could catch him. And AJ's just like, just do it. Like, I'll catch you. Like, I promise I will catch you. Okay. But um yeah. Did did he catch him? Yeah, I think he okay. caught him. I was waiting what for What was that one? <laughs> there was one I was watching a clip. I think it was Lesnar. Like someone did a dive and they were going to hit nothing and like Lesnar like like literally did like the diving like slow motion like take the bullet for someone to like save them. I remember that happening, but I don't remember what it was. It was a dive, I think, but there's there's all sorts of interesting videos of guys like saving people. I know, I know, um, I know Shane Helms credits Scott Steiner for saving his life because he said he was about to take a header off the thing and like Steiner just like grabbed him by like the pant. He was like easy there yeah. and like kept him upright. Um, it's yeah, we're. Yeah. It's interesting. The um, he's been doing a lot of interviews now where he never did before. That is something else. Austin asked him. It's like, what was it like going on Regis and Kathy Lee in that gimmick? He's like, I hated every minute of it because hmm. I couldn't talk. Right? He would just sit there and he would growl or he'd groan or something, and Bearer would talk. Um, incidentally, one of the the best comments I saw from that was. Um, how do you, how do you think it felt when they made Kevin Dunn put the hologram of Paul Bearer in the ring? 
knowing Paul Bearer hated Kevin Dunn so much. Hated his guts. And that's a guy who didn't hate anybody. You know what would have been hilarious at his retirement if someone had just like walked up and shook his hand and when he was done shaking his hand there was a cucumber in his hand. (laughs) (laughs) That's my favorite story. Um, I think it was a Paul Bearer one talking about he puked all over a Waffle House because he came back and there were cucumbers in his iced tea. Yeah. And he said like people used to... I think he said people used to put, like, cucumbers in every figure of his glove. Yeah. <laughs> or he's getting ready to walk out for the big thing, and they just slip him into his coat pockets or something. And I, I think it's hilarious that his nickname when he started, because he had the red hair, was Wendy. <laughs> I didn't know that. Because Paul Bear said, like, his, his nickname was Pooh Bear. And he said, like, he hadn't worked there in years, and he came back, and he had been there for a while, and Vince wanted him to do something, he didn't want to do it, and Vince is like, come on, Pooh Bear. <laughs> <laughs> Which just cracked me up. Paul Bear, I, I, it, it's something, I miss him a lot, because his shoot interviews are always great, because Paul Bear, like, even pre-WWE, like, I don't think people realize, like, Paul Bear is a funny motherfucker. <laughs> I've never heard a shoot he did. I'll get you a link. He did one. The the whole I hate Kevin Dunn thing came from Paul Bear and Jim Cornette shooting the breeze. And that one's great because that's where he talks about the cucumber stuff. That's where he talks about. Um, he watched the door while Steve Kern uh, took a dump in Jerry Lawler's crown. <laughs> it's it's not the whole interview. It's just that one section. But I'll send that over to you. But he's like when he when he was like. His pre, like, when he was, like, Rick Rude's manager and stuff, like, he's just funny. Yeah. Like, like he's just a guy that seemed to love life and uh, just, like, found humor in everything. And he got along with almost everyone. Um, almost. He said, he, you know, he said, like, I could, I could count on one hand the, uh, the number of people that I didn't like. I'm pretty sure he would have taken a brick to Tammy's head, according to him. You know, I, I haven't watched that one. Uh, That's on the Cornette one, I think. Um, here, I got, I got a playlist. I'm going to send that over. And um, he talks about, like, Taker in his younger days. I guess Taker was just an absolute animal. He said, like, Taker would take, like, the rental car and show up at the hotel at, like, 5 in the morning um, because he'd been out all night partying. Yeah. Uh, he drank flair under the table at one point. Oh, that's a that's a feat then. Yeah, it, they were on a they were on a plane ride back from somewhere on a private plane, and Flair started talking it up, and Taker's like, "Well, can't because uh, he did it to." Um, oh, I saw the interview a while back. I can't remember what it was, but he drank something. He drank ICP under the table. I think, like them and all their all their entourage like at the end of the night he's sitting there at the table looking around and everybody else is passed out on the floor and he goes all right now i'll go to bed um he also it's interesting because um lance archer wrote a story it might have been at him on social media about how 
he was just some nobody and like approached Taker in the gym and like Taker like took time out of his schedule to like give him like a lot of advice and mm. like encouragement and stuff and like he was a literal nobody at the time. Mm-hmm. Oh lord! But uh, I was reading a funny story about drinking. Um, there was some guy. I think it was Rico Suave was talking about getting in in like big Japan and like working in Japan in the in the nineties. And he said Stan Hansen took him out drinking one night. Yeah. And he said that was the biggest mistake he ever made in his life because Hansen could, like, could drink. <laughs> he could put it away. Yeah. Oh, man. But, yeah, that's, um, that's Taker. I, I mean, he's really been retired mostly for a couple years. Yeah, for a while. And it was getting sad watching him, I thought. Like, I, I'm kind of glad he's not doing it anymore yeah he's at a place now where he doesn't have to do anything he doesn't want to do and that's that's great i'm happy for him if he decides hey you know i'm going to go on the convention circuit he's going to make a killing at it but if he doesn't want to he doesn't have to and good for him you know i'm i'm glad that he got to go out this way instead of the way the Roman match went, because that wasn't a match. That was uh, a Samoan beating up an old man, is what that was. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, he was able to go out with, you know, with the character and that sort of stuff, and, you know, you know, hats off to him for that. Yeah. Well, I think that is it for this week. Um, I think we're going to come back because of the holidays... We're going to come back with 1987 cartoon schedule. I should have looked at what that was. I think, um, I think, um, I don't know if we get anything like super amazing that year. Let's look real quick before we go Mm -hmm. and then we'll call it a night. Um, and then I think we're going to try and get into some wrestling before the end of the year. Mm -hmm. I think Matt will be a little more settled in then. Okay. So 87, we have my pet monster. Hmm. Fraggle Rock, the animated series, Mighty Mouse, Alf, the animated series, and the new Archies. So that's uh, yeah. uh that's gonna the eighty seven is gonna be rough. This is gonna be a rough year, a little bit. Yeah. So uh, that'll be next week, and then I think we're gonna try and get some back to some wrestling stuff after that, depending on what it starts looking like for the holidays. But um. Yeah, that's what the next couple weeks are going to look like, I think. All right, that sounds good. Hey, everybody out there, let us know what you think on our social media. Do you agree with us? Is there something we missed? Is there something you want us to talk about? We are still handling requests, so please hit us up. We would love to hear from you. This is Shad with Matt and Brad. We've been in three quarters. You're in the fourth, and we'll see you next time.